Hi, listeners. We're back with another episode of Understand South Carolina. We're talking about the influence of so-called dark money groups in South Carolina's state elections. I'm Emery Parker. And I'm Emily Williams. We're going to be joined today by political reporter Jamie Lovegrove and business reporter Andrew Brown. They recently worked together to report a story on how anonymous donors poured hundreds of thousands of dollars last month into a state house primary for a seat that covers Myrtle Beach. We'll also be discussing why the state's campaign finance laws allow these anonymous groups to have an outsized role in South Carolina's state elections. So to start out, Jamie, can you just describe for us what was this race um, and why was it uh, the focus of, of some of these dark money groups? So the incumbent in this race is State Senator Luke Rankin, um, and the reason why he is particularly powerful is he is the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, an incredibly important committee, probably the second most important committee behind the Finance Committee, which d- decides where we spend all our uh, our tax money. Um, the Judiciary Committee handles. Uh, about 40% of bills that, that go through the Senate, go through the Judiciary Committee, uh, deals with all kinds of, of regulations, of uh, of legal issues, um, you know, uh, when you think about how we're going to regulate alcohol, when you think about how we're going to, uh, you know, one of the reasons why folks are particularly, particularly uh, well-funded groups are interested in this race is because, you know, the Judiciary Committee is going to decide – how much liability uh, businesses during the coronavirus pandemic are going to have um, and whether or not they're going to be shielded from potential lawsuits from their employees. Um, So that's just a very current uh, interest of the business community. Um, So he uh, originally faced two challengers, two uh, Republican primary challengers, both uh, sort of running against him from his right, Uh, And he was forced into a runoff uh, in South Carolina. If you don't win 50% of the vote in the first round, you have to go to a runoff. He only got 40% in the first round, went into a runoff against a financial advisor named John Gallman. Um, And from there, uh, it became an incredibly expensive race. People didn't expect him to go to a runoff to begin with, given how influential and powerful he is. And given the fact that he's represented that district uh, since 1993, he's been around for a very long time. He's originally elected as a as a Democrat uh, and is one of several uh, several senators who switched parties to become Republicans over the years as the state shifted from Democratic to Republican. Uh, but he was forced into this runoff, and and a lot of money uh, poured into the race at that point. So, who was his challenger in the runoff, and why did this end up being a competitive race? Like you just said, he's uh, been in office there since '93. Uh, why mm-hmm. did this end up being that competitive? Well, you know, uh, primaries are pretty low turnout. Uh, you know, one theory that a lot of folks in the district had was that. Um, you know, people, because of the fact people didn't expect it to be competitive in the primary, there may have been a lot of potential ranking voters who just didn't show up, um, you know, expecting that he had it in the bag. Uh, you know, these guys were running pretty aggressive, uh, campaigns against him. Um, 
They certainly generated a lot of support from sort of conservative activists um, who have long viewed Rankin as, um, you know, too liberal, um, particularly on on social issues like abortion uh, and guns. He had you know, had to come out during his primary race and say, you know, that I am a supporter of the personhood bill, which is a bill that would ban all abortions in South Carolina, it to affirm his support for Second Amendment rights. So, you know, it was a fairly typical Republican primary that we've seen in a lot of state house races around South Carolina. It just so happened that this one was for uh, one of the most uh, powerful lawmakers in the state. You noted in one of your stories that Governor McMaster chose not to endorse Rankin, do we know why? They have clashed on a number of issues over the past few years. One in particular where they have never seen eye to eye is on Santee Cooper, uh, the state-owned utility. Governor McMaster, um, particularly since the VC Summer nuclear project fell apart, um, but even before then, quite frankly, has long has long been an advocate for selling Santee Cooper to a private utility um, and effectively privatizing that state asset. Uh, Luke Rankin um, is in St. Cooper territory um, uh, out there in the PD. Uh, St. Cooper is the uh, main utility for a lot of uh, of his constituents. He is concerned that um, if they sell St. Cooper, it would it would lead to higher rates for his constituents, higher power rates. Um, so he has been strongly opposed to it. So that's one reason in particular. Um, but there have been a number of issues uh, where they have clashed uh, and McMaster has not viewed him as a particularly, um, you know, as an ally. And so he was, uh, he declined to to help out and he could have been pretty helpful. McMaster's uh, most popular part of the state is Horry County, uh, at least in his own Republican primary back in 2018. He did extremely well in Horry County. So he is quite popular out there. Um, Hugh Leatherman, who is the Senate Finance Committee chairman, the most powerful lawmaker in the state, went to uh, Governor McMaster and asked him to come and help Luke Rankin, um, and and the governor uh, declined. So just setting up the stakes a little bit further, what would have been the implications if Rankin had lost this race? We would have seen a quite different Judiciary Committee. Uh, Chip Campson, uh, a senator from down in the low country, uh, would have likely taken over. He was next in line. Um, he is generally viewed as considerably more conservative than Rankin. Um, probably would have pushed through a lot of bills that Rankin has been reluctant to uh, take up. Um, and most significantly, and we'll, we'll get to, to this, and this is the part of the big reason why the dark money is, uh, flowed into the district, you know, Rankin is a, uh, an injury, a per- personal injury attorney. Um, and two of the, the most well-funded interests that, that clash, uh, in the judiciary committee are trial lawyers and business groups. You know, I was mentioning an example right now being the liability for businesses, in in the coronavirus pandemic, trial lawyers really want businesses to be held liable because they are the ones who are going to be suing them. Um, the businesses are very concerned about that. You know, if Chip Canson had taken over, he would probably have been much more amenable to uh, the views of of the business uh, community. So let's let's go ahead and um, define what what is dark money. What's a dark money group? 
I'll let Andy take this one. Dark money isn't a legal term. Um, it was kind of, I think, most popularly coined in a in a book that was produced in recent years by Jane Mayer, a prominent writer out of New York who covered um, campaign finance issues and throughout the country. Um, what dark money essentially means is that money is funneled political campaign contributions of some sort, usually large ones, millions of dollars, are funneled through organizations that enable the donors to hide who they are. That money then is spent on independent advertising campaigns. You know, these videos that you see every election cycle now that says, uh, so-and-so doesn't support abortion or so-and-so um, is weak on immigration. Uh, you should tell them that. Um, you know, don't support this person. Those independent ads that are run by these these pol- you know professional political groups. Um, you know, if you can trace back um, who is spending that money, and it goes back to a group that doesn't list its donors, that's dark money. We have no idea who, which individuals or which corporations or which unions or, or um, which, you know, uh, people essentially are interested in spending millions of dollars to defeat or support a candidate. And that's what dark money is. It's, it's essentially untraceable um, political contributions. What's the incentive? Why would somebody want to be donating money to one of these anonymous groups rather than just donate money directly to the candidate they support? I, I've thought about this a lot. There, there's some, I think one reason um, that a lot of researchers have looked at is that if it's, if you can't attach an attack ad to a specific group or person, that ad is much harder to refute and push back against. Right. It, it, I see the, you, you can't judge someone's intentions if it comes from an anonymous group. Now, if it came from Corporation A over here against one certain lawmaker, journalists would be able to look back at the voting records of of that lawmaker or look back at the legislative history or congressional history of how that lawmaker interacted with this corporation. We could say they don't have a very good relationship because this lawmaker voted against this thing that this corporation wanted over here. That would tell readers essentially why a a specific person or a specific group might have an interest in removing a lawmaker from power. Whenever it's anonymous, you can't do that. So it's just some random, random name at the bottom of the ad. And that makes viewers much more susceptible from what Reacher has found to trust it. Yeah. Um, The other thing, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it, that's interesting is it's like, um, you know, everybody says that they hate negative ads, they hate attack ads, and yet, like, they work. Um, everybody likes to say that every candidate, of course, always wants to say, like, you know, I'm, I'm running a positive campaign, I'm not running a negative campaign, but it sounds like you can maybe kind of have it a little bit both ways if you've got uh, one of these groups that uh, supports you. They can, they can kind of take that on, run the negative ads, and then you're, you're not really your name's not really directly associated with them. Yeah, I I think that's true. Um, Bringing it back to Rankin's campaign, um, you know, 
groups that may be interested in having having Rankin out of the legislature and giving up his seat as judiciary chairman, they may not want the blowback if Rankin won, which is what happened, right? So, so groups that spend anonymously, you can target a specific lawmaker, really try to defeat them. And if the system is working correctly, that lawmaker has no ability to confirm whether your industry or, or you as an individual actually spent against them. Mm-hmm. It gives you plausible deniability also. Um, and so it, it's, it's handy in that way in which for those, these groups and these individuals, because then you don't get the blowback. Rankin's probably very likely upset with the groups that spent against him, but confirming who those individuals and groups are is nearly impossible. Mm-hmm. Do we actually know how much money was, was spent by these groups in, in this election? So that was the, I think, uh, just for emphasis, the, the real goal of what Jamie and I were trying to do with this story. Jamie had covered the implications of this election, had, had mentioned the, the ads that were being run against him by these groups. But, um, you know, in South Carolina, it's hard to even get a total. That's, that's one of the most important aspects of this is it's hard to even track how much these, these dark money groups are spending. And so Jamie and I, what we did, we relied on um, records from the Federal Communications Commission, which tracks um, TV advertising dollars. And local broadcast stations and cable stations are required to file reports that say this group spent this much money um, for these TV spots over this number of weeks. And so this provides us a conservative estimate of how much these groups spent. It doesn't include mail um, advertising. It doesn't include radio advertising. It doesn't include um, social media advertising. But what we came up with is that um, roughly $875,000 was spent by three groups, um, one one of which was supporting rank and two of which were attacking him. And that, I mean, that is an extraordinarily large amount of money. Not First of all, as Andy said, it almost certainly doesn't cover everything uh, because there were mailers going out. There was digital ads. There was radio ads as well, which is not included in that total. Um, but, you know, for context, we don't quite know this for sure because, again, because of the fact we don't have a um, – you know, a central location where we know exactly how much is spent total on each race. It's hard to directly compare them. But, you know, I've been talking to a lot of uh, strategists and consultants around the state. Almost everyone believes that this was probably uh, the most expensive state house race in South Carolina history. Um, you just don't see that kind of money pouring into a state house race. These districts are not very big. I mean, you know, uh, Luke Rankin's district includes parts of Myrtle Beach and parts of Conway, you know, a little tiny, uh, you know, comparatively tiny section of, of the PD, um, you know, with, with that kind of money, you can absolutely blanket a district, uh, you know, and, and based on the folks I was talking to who live out there, that they said, if you turn on a TV uh, in those two weeks, you know, you could not avoid seeing uh, ads about this state Senate race. And the federal community, the the federal records show that, right. They say like at what time of day these ads are running. It was from, it was from uh, dawn until late into the evening. You know, it was, 
if you turned on your TV and you were watching a local news show, a golf tournament, um, Fox News, uh, a cooking channel, I mean, th- these ads were being blasted in your face at, at every commercial break. So going back to what you said about in in South Carolina specifically, not really being able to get that true total, you know, so we know these um, these ad totals, right? These TV ad totals, right? Um, why do we not know the full number? Why do we not have a fuller picture of how much money these groups are spending? Um, it's, uh, I think Jamie put this the best in whenever we, you know, he tweeted out his, our story. Um, so, you know, what makes South Carolina um, particularly difficult whenever it comes to these dark money groups is that the state's campaign finance laws were somewhat gutted by a federal court decision in 2010. Um, in that, uh, a judge ruled that essentially the state improperly defined what a committee is, which is you know what used to be um, business groups spending on elections. What resulted is that the the state's campaign finance regulator, the state Ele- um, ethics commission, essentially stopped policing or or regulating groups like this in any way, and as a result. Um, Whereas other states, I believe 47 other states, um, if a group explicitly um, either calls for a person's re-election or defeat in an election, um, that group has to at least give um, the state some type of total of how much they spent on advertising. None of that exists in South Carolina. And so the, the state agency that would be responsible for reporting this type of thing and kind of regulating these groups plays no role. Um, which means it's, it's, you know, I had, um, experts on this issue who review the laws throughout all of the various States. And they essentially said it's the wild West, like South Carolina, along with Alabama and Indiana are the only three States that, that don't police or regulate these groups at all. Um, and so it, it just makes it particularly tough if you're a citizen or a journalist trying to figure out how much these groups spent. Um, there is no resource where you can just go and look up how much these these um, entities were willing to spend to try to defeat a lawmaker. Going back to this race specifically, so there are three different groups that you cited in, in your story. What were those groups and... It sounds like we can't know much about them, but but what, if anything, do we know about those three? One of the groups was called uh, the S- South Carolina Jobs Coalition. Um, the South Carolina Jobs Coalition um, is a registered entity in South Carolina, meaning it was incorporated in South Carolina in 2016. Um, we know from past election cycles that it was used by anonymous donors in the past, to try to influence other elections. Um, but beyond that, we have little um, in the way of, of record keeping to tell us, one, who is administrating it, and, and two, uh, which donors were financing it. Um, another group was called the South Carolina Industry Project. Um, that group, um, according to its incorporation records and, and other documents, 
um, is based out of Washington, D.C. It's part um, of an, uh, an entity that also goes by the name American Industry Project. Um, they are a 501c4, which is a nonprofit um, that groups often use to mask political donors. Um, and so they raise money through this 501c4 nonprofit and spend heavily on elections. Again, this group also spent money on previous state elections. Um, uh, one example is the 2018 race for governor. Um, and then we had the South Carolina Conservatives Fund. This was one of the more interesting ones, um, this go around. Um, the South Carolina Conservatives Fund uh, was a brand new entity. Um, I found its incorporation documents in Ohio. Um, it was formed uh, actually two days after Rankin um, and his opponent headed, in, headed off into their, their runoff election. Um, so it was formed explicitly for the purpose of funding attack ads against Rankin. Um, now, the, a website that the group set up <laughs> suggests that, uh, that it's somehow tied into another group called the American Principles Project, which is based in Arlington, Virginia. Um, again, the American Principles Project is another nonprofit that is used to disguise political donors. Um, and so my thought, I can't prove it, but that the money was funneled through the American Principles Project to the South Carolina Conservatives Fund, uh, which was based in Ohio, and then they spent over half a million dollars of attack ads against Rankin. Um, that's the, the extent of what I can verify and know about these groups, which shows why they're set up this way. So that 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 last group that you were talking about, so they they spent how much was it half half a million you said so that must have been just within uh, weeks or days of of forming it all right right so they actually spent um, from what we could collect on their TV uh, purchases they spent at least six hundred and fifty two thousand um, dollars and again that's over a two week period so they were formed in Ohio. Um, immediately got this cash infusion from somewhere um, and spent $652,000 on TV ads in the, the two-week period leading up to Rankin's runoff. So, so Jamie, I, I'm curious, given that Rankin did win this election, like you said, he holds a powerful seat. Um, these dark money groups targeted him in this election. What does he think about regulating these groups further? Well, he says uh, that he is certainly in favor of greater regulation of dark money groups. He insists that he always has been and that this is not a new position for him. Um, but he could certainly have some influence over the process because uh, almost certainly any bills to do so would go through his committee, uh, the Judiciary Committee. Uh, there is, in fact, a bill... Um, that, uh, that, that Senator Leatherman, you know, again, the most powerful lawmaker, he faced a lot of dark money attacks in his Republican primary in 2016. He similarly reacted to that experience by, uh, saying that he was opposed to, to dark money and filing a bill to regulate it. That bill sat in Reagan's committee or a subcommittee of the judiciary, uh, committee. So, 
the point the point is that uh, that there is certainly from some of the most influential lawmakers in the state um, quite a bit of support, at least in the Senate right now, to take some more measures on this at this point. Uh, you know, the question is really going to be how much energy uh, and and political capital are they willing to to spend on that? Uh, there are obviously quite a lot of issues. Um, that the state is dealing with, uh, and it takes time and efforts to, to move uh, bills through the legislature. Um, you know, uh, another question, of course, will be who exactly is opposed to doing this. Uh, this is not the type of issue where if you are opposed to taking action, you speak out about it because it there, there are there's little political advantage to uh, being in support of dark money. Um but clearly, you know, the fact that we haven't done anything about this means that there must be some folks in the legislature who would rather not uh, deal with this. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my sense is that the bigger problem has just been that it doesn't rise to the level of, of urgency. Generally, it, you know, covering the state house, uh, we can say that uh, they don't tend to tackle issues until they are in a crisis. Um that uh, they tend to be fairly reactive um, as opposed to proactive. And so, uh, you know, that's really going to be the question is with everything else going on, with a pandemic right now, with the usual budget writing process, with, uh, you know, all the issues that come before them every year, can they give this uh, the, the time and attention to, to move it forward? Uh, and, you know, we'll find out probably uh, next year. Andy, I know um, last year you kind of took a bigger look at the issue and found um, $6 million, is that right, had, had been spent by uh, dark money groups in SC elections? Yes, around $6 million was dumped by outside groups in South Carolina elections in 2018. Yeah. So how, how did you go about identifying those groups? Um, in much the same way, actually, as I did for this election, um, you have to pay attention to the advertising campaigns as they're going on. Um, and, and you recognize, I'm sure at this point in time, everyone has seen a dark money ad on television um, or in print that showed up in their mailbox. And what gives it away is, is, the, is the disclaimer at the bottom that says paid for by X group. Um, you have to recognize... And, and look for the groups that are spending in, in that type of way. And then what you do is you, you start doing incorporation searches for them, right? These things are businesses. They're either LLCs, nonprofits, um, or some type of, of association um, that's registered with the, the IRS. Um, and then it's backtracking. It's essentially following the breadcrumbs of their incorporation documents until you, until you find the end. Um, and so it was the same way. It's recognize the ads, look them up on the internet, try to find out as much as you can about them, um, and then report the story and figure out how much I try to put a total on how much they spent. How um how did these groups just kind of like break down politically? Um, like what what were their interests? What you know what were they promoting? Um, 2018. Uh, I'm sure everyone remembers was the biggest race that these dark money groups targeted was the governor's race. Um, uh, and so I looked at dark 
money groups that spent not only in the Republican primary, but also in the general election between Governor Henry McMaster and his opponent, James Smith, the Democrat. Um, what it showed in that election cycle was that um, the vast majority of the money was was um, on the Republican side. Um, but that, it's important to note that James Smith didn't have it as a competitive as a primary as Governor Henry McMaster did. And a lot of the Republican money was actually spent attacking other Republicans, if that makes sense. In South Carolina, mm-hmm. the, the I've seen, and it shows in Rankin's race as well, some of the biggest money that was spent is Republicans versus Republicans. And that, that the reason that is, I suspect, is simply because Republicans are dominant in the state. They hold most of the statewide offices. They hold most of the congressional seats. Um, they hold both U.S. Senate seats. And so uh, the competition in elections and, and uh, where you can make the most difference uh, if you're one of these people pouring money into elections is, is in a primary. Um, that's not to say that Democrats don't use dark money groups too. Um, you will see as we head into this presidential election, um, in November, and you will see in, in congressional and Senate races throughout the country as well, um, that Democrats have their dark money groups as well now. Um, uh, it, I don't think it's a stretch to say that dark money groups got their start in Republican circles. Um, but in the past couple of years, um, it has very much started to equalize. Um, it, it, it's an arms race, right? And so the Republicans armed up with these dark money groups. Um, and so Democrats feel the need to arm themselves as well. And they are. I know one of the things you wrote about in that project was the role of dark money groups in our last election for governor. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah. Um, as I, as I said, um, uh, the biggest amount of money in 2018, um, from dark money groups was targeting, um, or supporting candidates for governor. Um, the vast majority of the dark money was spent in the Republican primary, uh, in which governor Henry McMaster had to fend off, um, a bunch of, uh, Republicans who were looking to take his seat. Um, and, um, you know, I, I specifically focused in on Governor Henry Masters uh, and the groups that supported him in the race um, because he ultimately ended up winning. Um, and there were at least five different dark money groups um, that spent over a million dollars essentially assisting him by either attacking his opponents or running ads, um, supporting him, showing him next to President Donald Trump, for instance. Um, and it sh- so it just shows that, you know, while Henry, uh, Governor Henry McMaster was able to raise a significant amount of money for his own campaign, um, this side, these side campaigns um, add a huge amount of influence and, and power whenever it comes to the election process. Um, his allies were able to blanket um, television um, with ads, again, either... Um, kind of smearing his, his opponents or holding him up as, um, the ultimate conservative. Um, and, and that's, I, that's nothing new in this state, but it, it really goes to show, um, how much money what people are willing to pour into campaigns here through this process to get the outcome that they want. 
looking toward the the general election later this this year, it sounds like that that kind of uh, advice for for anyone who might be looking out for you know is this is this ad is this material paid or by a dark money group, you said, look for, look for that statement, right? That says, you know, this, this ad was paid for by, and then this, this group, are there any other things to, to look out for, you know, just in terms of being a, a, a conscious voter, voter and informed voter, just, just knowing if um, the materials they're seeing are potentially paid for by these groups that don't have to disclose, disclose um, the people behind them. You know, the disclaimer is on all of the ads, right? So if, if, if there's a, if a candidate themselves is paying for an ad, it'll say paid for by, um, in, in McMaster's instance, it'll say right. paid for by Governor Henry McMaster. Right, um, right. But the, so this is where it gets tricky. It's like, you have to not only look at who's paying for the ad, but then you have to go and do the background research, which can be extremely hard. And as an average citizen, I'm, I'm not confident as someone who has done this, that every person will be able to figure that out themselves. Um, that's partly why Jamie and I did this story. And it's why we do the jobs that we do is so that we can figure this out for people and explain it to them. Um, my recommendation is if you see an ad, um, that you are, you, you question and you want to know more about the group, um, that's spending, um, you can send it to us. Uh, contact someone at the Post Courier, send it to us, tell us the name of the group that's spending the money, tell us where the ad ran, um, tell us the general contents of what the ad showed, and and we can try and figure out um, essentially where, how far we can trace um, that group and that money back to. I think that's a, a good segue to ask both of you, what are the, the best ways that that listeners and readers can get in touch with you. I'd say, especially if they have uh, questions about about dark money and and these kind of types of races. My email is j lovegrove j l o v e g r o v e at postingcourier.com. dot um, You can also follow or DM me on on Twitter at j s lovegrove. The easiest way to get in contact with me is through my email. It's a brown at postandcourier.com. Um, again, I'm, I'm always excited to receive, um, you know, tips about groups that are spending in elections. I think this is a really important subject and unfortunately one that um, is going to continue uh, to be extremely influential um, as elections proceed in the coming years. Right. And, and Jamie, like you said, we have... Um plenty of of crises for our legislators to be dealing with this year so so we'll see you know when it comes to more more regulations but um i'm sure if there are any developments we'll be covering that as well if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for this podcast you can find us on twitter we are at understand sc so uh thanks everyone for listening and we will be back next week All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. 
Y'all later.